Uh, good morning, Celebration Church. Glad to be able to share the scriptures with you this morning. Uh, I'm traveling this morning, and it's one of these weird flight situations that <laughs> I just couldn't get back in time. I will actually be landing uh, about 11.30 this morning, just couldn't get back in time, so needed to pre-record my message. But it's okay. God's Word is alive no matter how it is presented. I want to give you the third uh, installment, and uh, I believe the final installment for now anyway, on the uh, message about desires. Uh, our text has been uh, Thessalonians, Second Thessalonians, when Paul wrote his second letter to these Thessalonian Christians, <clears throat> just people who had no background at all in religion or anything else God in their life, and they were just pagans, and they come to Jesus, and he changes their lives really describes what probably most people in our culture today experience. They come to Christ. They don't really know much of anything. So Paul writes these letters to help them in their faith. And what he writes to them is this. He says, We constantly pray for you that our God may make you worthy of his calling and that by his power he may bring to, fru to fruition your every desire for goodness. And we've been talking about this in the most simple of terms, uh, but it's, it's been helping a lot of people. And for those of you who are a little more advanced in your faith, this is really simplistic, but bear with me. Uh, we've been doing this chart uh, where we talk about really, in the basic of terms, we have two types of desires in us. We have good desires and we have bad desires. The Bible is very clear that if you will follow the good desires, it will lead to life. Life is a wonderful thing blessings, success, favor, prosperity. It is life, life-giving, all right? Jesus said, I've come that you might have life and have it more abundantly, more life than he can deal with. That's what Jesus really desires for you. God desires that your life is just filled with life, energy, power, wonderful things, all the good things in life. The bad desires, which still also are residing in us, lead to death. And we talked about death. And one of the ways that you know something is dead is it starts to stink. And when everything stinks in your life, it's probably because you are full of too much death. All right? Now, what the Bible tells us is we need to be intentional about pursuing these and intentional about avoiding these. Because if you're not careful, you will fall quickly back into this. Uh, and if you spend all your time reading things that are bad, looking at movies that are bad, uh, thinking about things that are bad, it's only going to inflame death in your life. It's always there. We don't escape it until we eventually die and go to be with Christ. In the meanwhile, we need to intentionally pursue this. That's why the Bible encourages us to Whatsoever things are good, whatsoever things are positive, whatsoever things are healthy. Think about these things because these are good things. Uh, and Paul says, I'm praying that God by his Holy Spirit will empower this in you so that you will uh, succeed more with the good things in life so that you can have blessing and success in your life and not have to struggle with this. Oh, well, it's always a struggle. I mean, it never goes away uh, until we're finally in, in heaven, then, then it stops. That's what's going to make it heaven. <laughs> we don't have to deal with this anymore. So the struggle's always there, but you, we just got to be intentional. Now, in the simplest of terms, I have uh, 
been sharing with you that the easiest way to focus on the good versus the bad and to allow the Holy Spirit to empower this in your life is to just go to church. And when you come to church, we sing, we worship, we fellowship with one another, we pray together, we hear the scriptures being encouraged uh, in our lives, and this generates the Holy Spirit. The, Jesus said, wherever two or three are gathered there, that I'll be there with them. Of course, this is by the power of the Holy Spirit. This energizes us, and virtually everybody who comes to church, even if they only come on occasion, will admit they find it to be an energizing experience. And this is true not just of our church, of any church that really presents the gospel in a meaningful way. There's a lot of churches, it's all about mechanics, and you go in bored, you come out bored, it's not much of an experience. But for people who are really gathering, putting Christ first in their lives, it is an energizing experience, and it brings life. The problem is we live in a culture today that is by and large undisciplined. We don't like to be disciplined about anything. To succeed at anything, you have to be disciplined. You need to keep doing it. The people who tend to succeed the most in life, the people who tend to have most of this and limit this. Again, you never, there's always a struggle, but they, they live here and, and, and have very little of this, are people who tend to go to church all the time. They go every week. They're always there. Now, there's a lot of people, and quite frankly, I must confess, as the pastor here in Green Bay and our campus in Appleton and Stevens Point, the truth of the matter is, and all of us know it, all the pastors know it, all the people who volunteer and come know it, that there's a big part of our congregation that does this occasionally. They come, they get energized, and then they just don't go to church for a week, two weeks, three weeks, four weeks. They start to struggle with this. Things in their life start to stink. Then they quick run back to church. They'll literally say things like, oh man, I'm so, I, I just, I, I, I missed for a while. I need to come back. I, I just need this in my life. And what they're meeting, uh, admitting is they're getting lots of death and now they're coming to get some life and energy back in. The problem is, is when you keep doing that and you're being real casual and you only come to get kind of a breath of fresh air and stuff like that, it's affecting the foundation. Foundations are very important. We talked about this last week where Jesus talked about we need to be careful about the foundation that we build in our lives. And he used the analogy of those who build their houses on the rock are people, uh, well, the other person, people on the sand. You got people who build their houses on the rock, people who build their houses on the sand. Then he says, when the rains come and those streams rise, the water rises and the wind blows and is knocking stuff around, uh, the person who has his house on the rock will survive. Those who are on the sand fall apart. And I pointed out, you'll notice that the people who did everything right versus those who are doing it wrong, both of them experienced rain, waters rising, and wind blowing. Don't take as a sign. Because some people say, well, I must not have my house on the rock because all this stuff's still coming at me. No, it's, that's, everybody gets that. If you do everything right, or everything, the reason you want to do stuff right is because you're going to get the rains coming at you, the water splashing at you, and the wind knocking everything around. Everybody gets that. Don't take that as a sign that God has forsaken you. 
What you want to do is build your house on a solid foundation so that when that happens, and I promise you, it will happen. Now, for some uh, people, it seems to happen not very often. For other people, it's like you're, you constantly live in a hurricane zone. <laughs> why? I don't know. I suppose there's also re all sorts of reasons why some people are constantly, you know, living in a twister all their lives. A whole different sermon about all of that, I suppose. But in any case, the reality is everybody gets it. And regardless of whether you get it occasionally or you get it a lot, you want to build your house on a rock. You want a solid foundation. If you don't have a solid foundation, you have a weak foundation, you will fall. And what I've been trying to point out is that people who tend to go to church occasionally now, they'll tell you, well, I can still do this. I don't have to come to church to still do this. And I suppose in theory that's possible. But the reality is that's not what happens. Because the people who don't do that eventually want, they keep cracking their foundation. And then eventually it hits the fan and they fall apart. And it's so predictable. And there's so many of you. I love you dearly. And I, I know when you're here when you're not. <laughs> And you come and you don't come. You come, you don't come. Well, several weeks, I don't come. A month, I don't come. And back and forth. What happens is it's just inevitable. It's a matter of time. It's not if you're going to collapse. It's just when. Now, we love you. We will be here for you. We'll always be here for you and help put you back together again. As I said last uh, week, uh, we'll play all the king's horses and all the king's men to put Humpty Dumpty back together again. The good news is that you can always be restored. But better not to fall and crash into a thousand pieces than have to have people put you back together again. If you need help getting back together again, don't hide. Come and let us help you so you can get back on track. But I'm just trying to encourage you. Avoid the death of life. Avoid the negative here and get your life on a solid foundation by being intentional. And one of the ways that you can be intentional, experience the power of the Holy Spirit, is simply by coming to church. And I've shared with you that the studies that are done, and this is just secular studies, where people look at, you know, uh, healthy families, healthy kids, uh, healthy marriages, all that stuff. They do notice a difference, and they put a category of people who go to church. And the people who go to church on a regular basis once a week tend to have much more success in life than those who do not. And in all these studies, well, most of them, the ones that I see, if you look, you'll notice, they even have a subcategory of people who go to church more than once a week. These are the people who overwhelmingly are the ones who have the lowest divorce rates, the healthiest kids, best financial situation in their life. Why? Because they're, experience, they're experiencing tons of life, and it glows like the sun. And it's wonderful. But this happens intentionally. It's not that the people who come to church more than once a week are the ones who are just luckier. It's that those who do that tend to experience this on a continual basis. And it empowers them. And they experience great blessings in their lives. Why do I keep talking about this? Because, first of all, I would be thrilled if we could get everybody to come once a week and experience more life and start there. But even you really want to succeed, 
Come as well on our Wednesday night programs. Get your kids, come for a Bible study. Well, it's not sexy, it's not cool, it's not, there's not singing and juggling cats or whatever. So who cares? Wednesday night is just about teaching the scriptures. And you do it intentionally. And let me encourage all of you guys in Stevens Point, Apple, and everywhere, you know, here at Green Bay, at some point when we mature in life, we don't always have to be entertained. Everything doesn't have to be sparkly to hold our attention. You do life on purpose. So, number one, make regular church attendance a priority in your life and grow into the place where you can start coming more than just the once a week. Because again, these are the people. Here's the thing. If I ask all of you, we want to live here or there, all of you will say here. And how many of you want to glow like the sun here? All of you will say here. How many of you want to come to church every Sunday? Ooh, not so many. How many want to come twice a week? That's even a lower thing. And I'm telling you, they're tied together. <clears throat> I was watching uh, Fox News last night. And you know how they always talk about the vote. And you've got the uh, female vote and the male vote and the white vote and the black vote and the pink vote and the Latino vote. And everybody's got their thing. And, you know, and they often mention evangelicals uh, as a as a voting block. And it was fascinating. I was listening to them. Do you know what they consider an evangelical in these tests? Anybody know that? People who go to church more than once a week. That's their, that's what they consider a very devout Christian. These are very devout Christians. I'm not saying it. They're saying it. I would tend to agree with them. <laughs> but these are the secular world. When they look at people who claim to be very devout in their faith, their defining thing for that is people who go to church more than once a week. In fact, the person who was talking says, you know, I know when they test these votes, they talk about evangelicals. They're talking about people who go to church more than once a week. I don't go more than once a week, but I'm a person of faith. And so he's making his argument. But it just pointed out the fact that's the way the secular world looks at it. This is how you, that's why I said when they do these studies and tests and they notice people who tend to experience big globs of life in them are people who are just intentional, just in this. I don't know about your daily life. I don't know about the trials and troubles and tribulations that you have. But if you want to succeed in this side of the ledger and limit this side of the ledger, you do it intentionally. People who succeed in life do it intentionally. People who become good musicians do it intentionally. People who get good grades in life do it intentionally. People who get raises at their jobs and promote it up the chain do it intentionally. Life is not about luck. All right, get out of the lottery mentality. That's not how you do life. Life is done on purpose. And if you want spiritual life, I'm telling you, you do that on purpose. And one of the most fundamental, basic ways that you can emphasize that you are living on the positive ledger in your life, come to church at least the once a week. Now, that's not to say if once in a while you, you can't come for something that anybody's going to condemn you. We don't condemn anybody. If anything, we never talk about it. Probably why so many people don't come on a regular basis. But I'm telling you, you want to live here, you got to do it on purpose. And let me encourage you even to come and make it a, uh, that midweek experience as well is a big deal in people's lives. It's just the fact. It's the fact, B, 
biblically. It's the fact secularly. It's the fact as a result of studies. Everything screams in our culture. This is done intentionally, and you see it directly by people's decisions on how often they go to church. It's just, just that simple. All right, so we've talked about all this stuff. Now, uh, I want to wrap this up uh, in today's message, talking about there, there's another way that you can even <clears throat> really boost this, the good desires in your life. And that is when you ask God to come and intervene in your life and help give you the good things that you want in life. It is called prayer. We pray to God so that he will give us these good things, which helps us live on this side of the leisure. Uh, we read about this in Psalm, the 37th Psalm, okay? Uh, it, it says this, a very familiar verse of Scripture. Oftentimes, it's one of the Bible verses that our children are taught when they come on Sunday mornings. We teach them memory verses. That's a very familiar verse. It says, take delight in the Lord, and he will give you the desires, remember we're talking about desires, good desires versus bad. He will give you the desires through the power of prayer. This is all out of order, but <laughs> it's a result of all this that the Holy Spirit gets involved. Uh, through prayer, he will give you the desires of your heart. We all have desires. Again, some of them are good, some of them are bad. But we want to ask God to give us these desires so that we can succeed more in life. It's called prayer. He will give you the desires of your heart. Uh, in the gospel of Mark, uh, Jesus talks about prayer. Now, I'm going to quote to you from the King James Version because they like to use the word desire a lot. Uh, so you're going to see some yees and that kind of stuff. But they, they use the word desire in, in, in the context of prayer. Jesus says, therefore, I say unto you, what things soever ye desire... When you pray, believe that you receive them and you shall have them. The desires. Jesus said, I know you have desires. Again, there are good desires and there are bad desires. I'm pretty sure he's talking about the good desires that you have. When you have these desires, pray. Ask God. Believe God. Why? We just read God wants to give you the desires of your heart. He wants to bless you. God, more than anybody, wants you to live here. But again, it's done intentionally. What do you do with your life? What decisions do you make? Do you come to church on a regular basis? And have you learned how to pray? Because when you learn and you come to God in prayer, he starts really intervening now to fulfill these good desires in your life. Now, one would think that it's very easy to distinguish between good and and bad desires. Uh, I wish it was that simple. The truth of the matter, oftentimes, it's not that simple. And, and a lot of people, they pray about things, they think they're good just because they want them. Everything we want, right? If you want something and you get it, we would say, that's very good. Your children, right? No matter what they want, even though you know it's bad for them. 
if they get it, they would think, thanks, mom. That's really, really good. In fact, they can't understand why you won't give them what they want, even though you know it's bad because they want it. It must be good. Mom, why else would I want it if it wasn't good? And you say, well, because you're a child, you don't realize, you know, I don't know, a six-year-old shouldn't have his own, you know, chainsaw, all right? He thinks it'd be fun to go out in the backyard and cut stuff down. Well, he'll probably cut off his leg. You can determine that because you can see it as bad. And I would lay before you that the reality is, even as adults, and as we mature in our Christian faith, we, be, we become more attuned to what is good versus bad. I'm just saying, as you're growing in your faith, it's not always easy to see. Because everything you want will always seem like it's good. And it's not good for you. And we have to learn that. Uh, because God isn't going to answer your prayer any more than an adult will give their, <laughs> their kid a chainsaw or their 11-year-old, you know, their own Corvette so they can drive around the neighborhood. I promise you, your 11-year-old would think it's really good if you give them the Corvette. Of course, they can't legally drive, but even your teenager would think it'd be really good if you gave them a Corvette. It's not. What you need to give them is a used Kia or something, right? But they're convinced, man, if you gave me this brand new Corvette, Mom, Dad, that would be really, really good. We know it's not good. And the same with us with God. And the reason why some people struggle with prayer and why doesn't God answer their prayers is because we're not discerning. And you need to pray and ask God, help me to discern. Lord, give me one of the gifts of the Spirit, the Spirit of discernment, to really, in essence, believe it or not, discernment comes down to basically really being able to tell the difference between good and bad. Now, we put it in, you know, helping little old ladies across the street. Very good. You know, running over little old ladies trying to cross the street. That's bad. Okay, there's some things that are obviously good and bad. But I'm saying a lot of the stuff that we want and desire in life, we always think it's good. But when God looks, it's, that's not good for you. It's really bad for you. Here's an example. Millions of Christians, and I do not doubt Many, sadly, of you were among this group over the last few weeks who were praying desperately to win $1.5 billion. Many of you were praying. I know you people. You were praying that Christians all over America were in line coughing up money to have a shot at it, which, you know, the Bible doesn't say you can't buy a lot of shit. Here's what I do. If you want to buy one, buy one. You say, well, I can't win if I don't buy one. Well, then just buy one because <laughs> God can give you that number. <laughs> you don't need to buy 20 of them, 50 of them, 100 of them. People cough up all kinds of money. Which, why do you think it goes up to $1.5 billion? It's not the magic lottery fairies that make it bigger. It's because a lot of dumb people keep giving tons of money because they want their shot at it, and it keeps raising the pot. Again, you want to join the pot, grab one, fine. All right, but don't go crazy giving away your money for a bunch of nonsense. Now, everybody who had at least bought the one were praying, oh God, give me $1.5 billion because, oh Lord, it would really be good. Just as some of you even reasoned with God, Lord, just think of how much money I could give the church. I would die. 
Ironically, many of these people don't normally tithe at all, but suddenly with 1.5 billion, now they think they can tithe. So they're thinking, oh Lord, just think I'll be able to give 10% of $1.5 billion to Celebration Church, which I personally would be thrilled with, I gotta tell you. But that kind of money, believe it or not, people, is bad. God's a pretty big God. Wouldn't you think if you were God, you would make sure that even if there were several people that won, they were all devout Christians? Why don't all the devout Christians win? Because God knows generally it's bad. Most people can't handle it. On occasion, you'll hear of a devout Christian who does win a big thing. But these are people, by and large, they handle it really well. Most people don't handle money well. Money tends to be a corrupting force. It's a destroying force. And it will pull you away from God. I promise you, if you have millions of dollars, I mean just obscene amounts of millions, that like especially 1.5 billion, but even just a couple of hundred million, I got news for you. Other than your health, when you got that kind of money, you don't really need God. Anything you want be it good or bad, you just go get it. You have all the money in the world, anything you desire. Jesus said, what's so things you desire when you pray? Well, you got that kind of money, you don't pray about what you desire, you just go get it. You can make anything you have. Well, yeah, but I'd be so good with it. Look, you think, but I'm telling you, God knows that kind of stuff tends to be bad for you. It corrupts people. Uh, some of you, maybe some of you older ones who know what I'm talking about, you'll see your family or a family, some friends. Somebody in a family kicks the bucket. Aunt Susie drops over dead and she leaves a million dollars. Look what it does to the family. This nice family, they're all going at each other's throats. They're getting nasty. Money does bad things to people. Now, not everybody, some people can handle it well and those are the people God blesses with money. And personally, I hope more and more of you will be blessed in Sandy because we do need money coming from those who can earn money, know how to handle it responsibly and give to the church. We need, quite frankly, a few multimillionaires <laughs> in this congregation who can be generous with their money and blessed so we can advance the kingdom. So many things we want to do, so many things we could do if we had the resources. Uh, so I am praying that God does bless people, but not everybody will get it. In fact, it, God doesn't even want everybody to get it because most people, quite frankly, can't handle it. And big chunks of cash tend to be very bad. Now, that's just one example. You've got to be careful. James writes about this when he writes his letter. The first epistle actually ever written was by James to the church. And he says, when you ask, you do not receive. Sound familiar? And they're all wondering, how come? How come? He says, because you ask with wrong motives that you may spend what you get on your pleasures all right, and let me, let me end with this part of it. And this is probably the biggest exhortation that I can leave with you on this idea of, of prayer uh, and taking your de desires. Again, we all think they're good desires. You need to pray and say, God, help me to really discern what's good and what's not good. Uh, because we all think it's good because we want it, right? But so in your prayer, whatever it is that you're wanting in prayer, <clears throat> you have to always remember God needs to be the center of your attention. All right? 
He is God. That's why we worship God. We praise God. And, and our hearts and thoughts need to be towards God. Now, in the midst of that, we have these desires, you know. I'll put little Ds floating around in our lives for this, that, and the other. Some are good. Those are the kinds God's likely to answer. Some are not good, even though you can't tell the difference. Those are the ones that are likely not to get answered. But even if they're good, here's the final caution I want to give you. Don't make these desires, even if it's a good desire, desire, I can't even spell, no, I'm spelling desire, don't make them bigger than God. All right? And let me tell you how you can tell if your desire is bigger than God. Because you get to the place that you can't possibly be happy if you don't get that. I can't possibly have peace in my heart if I don't get that. I can't possibly follow Jesus and be a successful Christian if I don't get that. The minute you get to a place where, God, I got to have this. I got to, God, why won't you give me this? Oh, I'll never be happy if this doesn't happen in my life. I can never be happy if I, you know, if I can't find the right boy in my life. I'll, my life will suck for the rest of my life. Why doesn't God bring some boy into my life? You know, this kind of stuff puts the desire bigger than God. Or you could put it here and say it's a doorway. If you don't get it, you can't get to God. Either way, God's not going to do that. God's not, he's a jealous God. Big commandment. Thou shalt have no other gods before me, okay? No, 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 no. I come first. So you got to be in the place. You say, well, man, my wife's sick and if she dies, it'll ruin my life. Why doesn't God answer my prayer? Because you think it'll ruin your life. You can't let anything come in your life that you think is key. It's foundational. I cannot be happy. I cannot be at peace. I cannot succeed unless I have that thing. And if you take that kind of prayer to God, I virtually guarantee you, you will not get an answer. God will not empower you to put something before him. So even when you come to God with your good desires, pray for discernment so you can be clear on what's good and what's not good for you. But always be open-handed. If you never get what you want, you still should still be happy. If you never get your, if you have a chronic illness and for some reason God never answers your prayer and you'll have that miserable illness till the day you die, you know, I can do this and I will be happy till the day I die. I don't need any, I have God. I have Jesus. He fulfills my life. He is the focus of my life. I pray that he'll give me these good desires of my heart, but I don't need to have those things to connect with him, to have joy and to have peace. Always be careful not to make your desires into a version of God in your life. All right, I hope this series of messages has been helpful to you and that you will be very intentional so that you can experience good things in your life and have God answer good things in your life and empower that so you can experience more of life. But always remember, it happens on purpose. It happens intentionally. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word and for your truth. Lord, I pray for all these wonderful people this morning that are part of Celebration Church. Lord, over in Stevens Point and Appleton, here at Green Bay, the various services, our Latino congregation, wonderful men, women, and children. And, and Lord, I pray for them because I want the best for them and I know you want the best for them. But help us always to learn to put you first and help them to understand, all of us understand, that to experience the good things that you have for us in our life, we have to be very intentional about it 
And always be careful we don't put those good things that we desire before you. Because at the end of the day, God, you are God. We love you. We worship you. You are the author and giver of life. Always help us to learn that. And help us to learn to be content. Even if we're in that situation where we tend to live in a tornado zone, tornado alley like people in Oklahoma who have way more tornadoes than the rest of us. Lord, no matter what alley we live in, even if the winds are always blowing, help us always to be content because we can know you because of what Jesus did in our lives. In his name we pray. And everybody said, amen. God bless you guys. uh, And uh, we'll see you next Sunday.